got a rubber band man there from the spinners and uh, before that gold standard a southern minnesota band doing congratulations and bill withers with a lovely day it is 10:31, and you are listening to a minnesota morning on the maverick on kmsu radio and looks like a cooler day out there it's 60 degrees right now here on the campus at minnesota state university mankato today's high 67 and we could get some rain starting tonight it could end up as an inch or more going in through thursday where we'll have wind and rain and uh, 50 degrees for the high tomorrow down to 38 for the the low and then again friday another cool one 57 for the high some sun but 38 for your low uh, so we are definitely getting cooler again. Hey, and it's community story time. We've got uh, a local guy from the Nicollet County. His name is Chris Howe. He is also a DNR conservation officer, and uh, he's going to be chatting with us about water safety and boating safety. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Karen. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. well I'm looking forward to a, a nice holiday weekend coming up. Now, as a conservation officer, does that mean you are going to be out and about at all enforcing things, or what's the what's kind of the status on big holiday, busy weekends like this? Yeah, we'll definitely be out on the water. Um, basically, for those who are not familiar, um, a conservation officer is what we used to call a game warden. Uh, it's two different names for the same person, but we do law enforcement in a natural resources setting, so we enforce rules and regulations for things like fishing and boating um during you know during the summer uh and so that's what we'll be focusing on this this weekend um being a big holiday weekend there will be a lot of folks out um there will be some folks choosing to drink while they're out uh so that always you know adds a a safety concern for us well, now, do the DNR officers, do you actually go out in boats, or are you on the shore, or how does how does that work? Are you on different lakes, a certain area, or do you switch areas? I'm just curious how, how you manage all. There's all, I mean, land at 10,000 lakes and plus may, means uh, a lot a lot, of, a lot of area to cover. Yep. Yeah, we're issued uh, watercraft, and so we will be out on the lakes um, checking folks. Sometimes, sometimes we're observing folks and you know their operation their behavior uh sometimes we're approaching boats checking life jackets fire extinguishers safety equipment uh if folks are fishing we might we might be checking fishing license um counting fish etc um we work in conjunction with the county sheriff's water patrols um the area counties in south central minnesota uh, have water patrol officers that are also out um, on the lakes and rivers in boats um, doing some of those same things, uh, primarily focusing on, on water safety, boating safety. Now, do you do anything as a DNR officer? Are, are there people that look for invasive species, for example, when somebody comes out of a lake to make sure they're uh, washing their boat and their equipment appropriately is that something that's enforced or even considered at this time yep absolutely um that's that um 
is a, a very high priority, probably second only to, you know, immediate safety uh, as far as being on the water goes. But um, we're very concerned about uh, the spread of aquatic invasive species. Uh, in general, our, our best bet uh, to deal with the aquatic invasive species is containment. Uh, for many of these species, we do not have an effective removal strategy once they get spread. So the key really is to not spread um, the invasive species. So what there so, are several. I was going to ask you what uh, sorts of things are people required to do in terms of prevention methods that you really want everyone to adhere to strongly? Um, the the big three um, kind of catchwords would be clean, drain, and dry. Uh, when you pull your watercraft out of uh, the lake, clean off any kind of vegetation or debris that you may have picked up on your boat or especially on your trailer is where we see it a lot of times. Oh. Typically, that's weeds. Um, you know, so clean all of the aquatic plants off of, off of the trailer and the watercraft. Um, drain any water that is in the boat that would be the first step would be to pull the plug um you know the 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 plug that allows any water in the bottom of the boat to drain you need to drain that water um while you're at the access and folks need to leave that plug out while they are transporting their watercraft in minnesota uh since july 1st of 2010 it's been illegal to transport your watercraft with a plug in place um and i talk to people about it all the time and they they often will mention about you know you can't keep up with all the new laws well we're coming up on 11 years for that law oh. so it's <laughs> you know it's no longer a new law um uh uh but folks need to pull the plug leave it out while they're while they're uh while they're transporting the watercraft, even if it's, you know, I hear people say, well, I only live two blocks from the lake. Well, perfect. Uh, drive to the lake and put your plug in when you get here. Um, also, any kind of uh, devices like a live well uh, that is in a fishing boat, the, the drains need to be opened on them, drain the water out, and then you need to leave the drain open while um, any time that boat is being transported. And then the last thing is uh, drying. Um, some folks wipe down their boat real well. Some don't. Uh, you, you know, in reality, if you're if you're pulling your boat home from the lake, it's probably going to dry off pretty well on the outside. Um, uh, but our concern is for things like zebra mussels. The larvae of zebra mussels are microscopic. Mm. And they can survive in water. So if you if you come from a lake with zebra mussels and you have a lot, of, let's say you had water in your live well, and that gets into the next lake you go to, you could be unwittingly uh, transporting um, those invasive species. So um, you know what we what we what we require is that you drain all the water and then you know have the boat dry when you bring it back next time to the lake so it's inside and outside dry then yeah and and uh you know the the biggest thing if we could get folks 
to reliably pick off all of the vegetation, pull the plugs, leave the plugs out while they're transporting the boat. Uh, if we could get, if we could just get folks to do that much, we'd be uh, we'd be ahead of the game, you know, ahead of where we are right now, because we still have folks that that have, uh, you know, everybody's got their own angle on it. Um, and sometimes it takes a routine. Some people, for you know, some people have been going to the lake for 50 years, and they always put the plug in before they leave home. Well, guess what? That behavior needs to change. And instead of, you know, remembering to put the plug in before you leave home, put the plug in before you put the lake, the boat in the lake. Um, so it's just a little bit of a, a paradigm shift for some folks. As far as the other thing that I'm I'm concerned with as being a gardener and a master gardener is with bait, a lot of times people will use worms. And you're assuming you don't have jumping worms, but jumping worms can be mixed in with perhaps some baits by accident. And that is a huge, huge thing. So I know one of the things they say with, with like worms and things, you think, well, I'm just going to dump it here on the shore. I didn't use them all. So no big deal because I'll just go back in the soil. So I know that there's something where they clearly say don't be dumping any of your bait just back in the water or on the shore, correct? That is absolutely correct. Um, uh, if, if you're not going to be saving it for your next fishing trip, uh, either put it in the trash or very often at the access, you can find somebody who's going out fishing. Hey, you know, do you need some worms? Um, uh, some public water accesses will have a trash can for just for that very purpose uh for disposing of bait most of them do not um just as a a a practical matter because you know there's thousands of them um um, but yeah that's a that that's an excellent point karen is to dispose of that bait properly and I'm thinking yeah. you need to put them in a plastic bag or something so they don't wiggle out and go in the ground because I mean that is can, can be such a damaging thing those worms I mean maybe most of them are fine but you don't know maybe if you have one of those and it can really destroy an, an environment. Well, and I and I think probably if it went into the garbage, you know, I think it would probably be okay, but uh there's certainly nothing wrong with your with your suggestion either. Okay, that, that's just something I think a lot of people cause, you know, don't think about. It's like, ah, I'm just going to put the worm back in. Now, what about looking for things like zebra mussels or things on your boat? Are, are they hard to see? I mean, is it something where, and you mentioned the larva, so that kind of made me think that that's probably where maybe more of the spreading is coming from than the actual uh, mussel, zebra mussel or whatever the invasive species is itself. Well, and that's why that's why we um you know require the the watercraft to be dry when they come back in um the state does have some decontamination stations um that our summer interns will typically uh, be doing the the decontamination um and we've seen them at uh some area public accesses you know whether it's on a a busy lake or a lake that has a specific type of invasive species already where they're trying to prevent um, uh, prevent the spread. Um, and they've got a, a, you know, a high-pressure hot water rinse that mm-hmm. they can decontaminate the boat with. Um, obviously, for, for money and logistics reasons, 
we can't have one of them on every lake. Uh, there is uh, fairly extensive information both in the fishing regulations and the boating regulations books. Um, those are typically, uh, the fishing regulations are typically available for free anywhere that sells a fishing license. So it might be a sporting goods store, might be a bait shop, um, might be a gas station. Sometimes the boating regulations are a little bit harder to find. Uh, so you can certainly get them at the deputy registrar's office where you buy license tabs. Uh, both of those documents are also available for download on our DNR website. Um, and with folks running around with smartphones, uh, you know, it only takes a minute to download that, that PDF. Um, but there's, there's extensive uh, information uh, in those rule books and on our website talking about how to decontaminate your equipment and how to help prevent the spread from one body of water to the next. I've seen the statistic that, according to the DNR, that 7% of Minnesota's lakes are infested with invasive species. That's about more than 700 of our state's 11,842 lakes. Do you know, are many of them in southern Minnesota, or are there, is there an area where more of them are problematic than others in terms of invasive there's, species? There, there's, they're spread throughout the, throughout the state. Um, uh Early on, like in the 1980s, uh, when we, when the invasive species were first becoming um, kind of a big issue uh, on on the inland waters, uh, the the Eurasian water milfoil was the first one that that began to draw our attention. Mm-hmm. And I can remember in the 80s when it was in um, Lake Minnetonka, and you know, the spread there is probably due to the huge popularity of that lake. When you've got thousands of boats coming in, um, you know, that, that it, it's not surprising that that was one of the first lakes in the metro to have it. Um, right now, in south-central Minnesota, there are many lakes uh, that have Eurasian water milfoil. Um, you know, Lesur County, Blue Earth County, Rice County, lots of the lakes have that Eurasian water milfoil and um you know that's where the clean the the clean drain and dry procedures come in um we need to be treating our watercraft and equipment when we pull it out of a lake we need to treat it as if that lake were were infested uh just like when you go to the doctor's office and have a medical procedure they put on rubber gloves whether you know they think you've got a certain disease or not um it's the universal body substance isolation precautions well it's the same thing with the ais we want to treat uh all of those lakes when we pull our equipment out we need to treat it as if that lake were infested because in the event it is we will help prevent the the spread of that infestation Do you know any of the status of southern Minnesota lakes like Washington, Madison Lake, you know, the other ones around our immediate area in terms of invasive species and things? Are you aware, is there, do we have problems with certain things more than others, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like, there there are lakes in um, um, Lesur, Blue Earth, Rice County that have, uh, our, our primary problem down here is Eurasian water milfoil. And that's an aquatic plant that uh, tends to 
grow in mats on the surface, on the water surface. And uh, so you can imagine whether you're pleasure boating or fishing or, or water skiing, tubing, whatever your water recreation choice might be, you can imagine uh, that typically a mat of floating vegetation doesn't necessarily add to your experience. No. Um, so that, and, and that's, um, you, you know, just like in my station, I've got it in, in, uh, East, Middle, and West Jefferson Lakes. I've got it in German Lake. Uh, it has not been uh, documented in Lake Washington, but there's a couple of things. Um, you know that could that could change tomorrow with one careless boater. Sure. Um, and and sometimes uh, sometimes an invasive species will get a toehold somewhere before it's detected. Mm. Sometimes it's detected right away. Um, the state and sometimes lake associations or cities um, will hire watercraft inspectors to to watch watercraft that are coming and going from from area lakes. Um, the DNR has some in the in the south central Minnesota area. Uh, I can think of one city. I don't know if they're currently employing a watercraft inspector, but they have done so in the past. Uh, because the the um, you know the lake was a, a tourist draw for that for that area, um, but it what it what it really truly comes down to is individual responsibility. Sure. It, what is the rule in terms of being on a boat? You've got passengers. Let's say whether you're just pontooning or you're fishing or you're just taking a leisurely uh, boat out on the lake in terms of uh, uh, life vests and things like that. Do you all have to have one on? Do you all have to have one? Is there a requirement? Because a lot of, I I always wear one because I don't know how to swim. So that's just me just because I, you know, want to be safe. So what, what are the rules and things? I know that life vests can obviously save lives. So is there, is there a rule of some sort that you need to adhere by? Yes. Uh, Basically on any kind of watercraft in Minnesota, uh, at a minimum, you need one wearable um, life jacket per person. Uh, there are some additional rules uh, depending on vessel size, etc. But that's that's the basic. Everybody's got to have a life jacket that fits them properly. So I'm a big guy. If you got a little kid life jacket that I'm supposed to be wearing, that's not going to cut it. I need an adult jacket that fits me appropriately. Um, Likewise, for the kid, uh, they can't wear my jacket because they'll slip right out of it. You know, mm-hmm. they need an appropriate sized life jacket. Uh, for motorized boats 16 feet or longer, we also need to have uh, uh, what's known as a Type 4 personal flotation device. Uh, it's a throwable device. Most common, it's a Coast Guard approved flotation cushion. Um, they're the idea is that if you see someone, whether it's a distressed swimmer or somebody falls out of the boat, you can throw that device to them um, in the water much more easily than, say, trying to throw them a life jacket. Oftentimes, trying to throw a life jacket is like trying to throw a piece of paper. It mm. just kind of flutters, and they're not designed to be thrown. The throwable devices, like the flotation seat cushions, are designed to be thrown, and you can almost toss them almost like a frisbee to someone. Um, 
And and with the life jackets, you know, we covered. We need one per person. They need to fit properly. Um, and then at the at the risk of stating the obvious, don't just bring it. Wear it. Um, it's kind of like a seatbelt in the car. Uh, having a seatbelt isn't going to save your life, but wearing the seatbelt might well save your life. Same thing with the life jacket. Having it along might not be a bad thing, uh, but wearing it is a very good thing. Uh, there have been really some some big strides in life jackets in recent years. Uh, they don't have to be big, bulky things. You know, when I was a kid, uh, everybody wore the, the orange. Well, mm-hmm. not many people wore them, but yeah. <laughs> the popular thing was these orange horse collar style right. life jackets. And 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 they're not comfortable. I mean, that's just the fact. Uh, but there are lots of other options now. Uh, there are the the style that I prefer to wear has some mesh panels over the shoulders, so it doesn't uh, doesn't impinge your movement very much. Um, uh, it sounds like a sales pitch, but I will often forget that I have it on. Um, there are various versions of inflatable life jackets most of which use a co2 cartridge and a dissolvable um, uh, pellet so that when you if you fall in the lake for instance most of them will automatically inflate some of them um, have to be manually inflated so you need to know what you're buying but there's styles that go around your neck uh, there are styles that are like a belt pack that you wear, kind of like a fanny pack that, you know, people wore 20 years ago. Uh, it's that style, and then you have to pull it out and pull it up over your, you know, over your neck or over your head. Um, but there's there's lots of there's lots of different versions, uh, different styles. Um, you know, any of our sporting goods stores that carry outdoor sports uh, equipment you know, in the area, marine, you know, small local marine dealers can, can help you find something suitable. Uh, and of course, you know, the internet is, is got all kinds of choices. Is there um, a, a label or something that you know that it's approved by some organization that you know it's, uh, that it's yeah. going to be effective and safe? A- absolutely. Um, uh, the, the, personal flotation devices that are going to meet the requirements of the law are Coast Guard certified. Okay. Uh, Typically, most of the ones that we're dealing with are considered a type 3 personal flotation device, and that's what the label label will say on it. It'll say U.S. Coast Guard approved type 3 life-saving device. Um, There are some... um, you know, we could have a whole show just on the different types of, of life-saving devices out there. Uh, there are type 5s, which have to be worn to be legally counted. So just having it in your boat does not satisfy the requirement. You have to wear it. So a person needs to do some research. But the uh, uh, the Coast Guard approval um, process, that gives you some some assurance that what you're buying is, is you know, a useful safety item, not just a gimmick. Um, oh, go ahead. One of the things to think about, um, nearly 90% of our drowning victims are not wearing a life jacket. Uh, so 
you know, that's that's kind of food for thought. Um, uh, it doesn't mean that you can't still drown wearing one because you certainly can, but it it narrows your chances way down uh, of of having a tragedy. And you know, that's the thing to keep in mind is, or another thing to keep in mind. Um, you know, folks are going to the lakes on on a holiday and they're they're looking forward to it and then you end up having tragedy and someone loses their life you know you're every memorial day weekend for the rest of your life that's mm-hmm. what you're going to be focused on is you know the year that so-and-so fell out of the boat and drowned and and it's largely preventable um you know we can do just just a few things um can really up our odds of having a safe, enjoyable time. Wear your life jacket. Uh, don't drink and boat is another huge one. Uh, we've been hearing it for for years. Well, we've been hearing it for decades. Don't drink and drive. Uh, choose a designated driver. The same things apply to a boat. Um, the boat is a little bit different in that uh, you can have an open container in a boat if you know obviously assuming that folks are over 21 etc um uh and the operator can have alcohol in their system but it presents all the same problems that it does in a motor vehicle um you know uh perception and judgment and coordination and uh reaction time all of those same problems um applied to, to operating a boat. Uh, when you're in a boat, there's also environmental factors uh, such as wind and sun and noise that can get you tired. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and when, when you get tired, that compounds those uh, types of problems with reaction time, judgment, etc. Is there such a um, thing as a, a DWB, a, a drinking while, bo- you know, d- like a DWI, yep. driving while boating yep. or something um, that you can be arrested for? I mean, can, so yep. I'm wondering, you you can drink while you're boating? Because that just seems like not a good idea to me, but. Um, it's not a good idea that you're, you're correct. It's but you won't get arrested uh, for doing that if you're, you know, pulled over. There are, there are boating while intoxicated laws that are very similar to our driving while intoxicated laws okay uh in, including um you know blood alcohol um uh percentages um the safest way to go about it is don't drink and boat uh somewhere along the line uh our society has developed a persistent myth that that it's okay to to be drinking while you're out boating um I don't necessarily agree. It's certainly not a good idea. I don't think anyone's going to advocate that, you know, hey, here's a great idea. Uh, let's drink something and drive a boat. Um, uh, the the best plan is to save the, the consumption for after you're off the water. Um, you know, designate a driver uh, because it's, it's, so it's if, not safe. If you're pontooning and, or boating, can people have alcohol on the boat is i mean that's okay or not illegal or what i'm just just want to clarify it it, it is legal it, oh. it is allowed but the operator cannot be impaired 
Okay. Well, all so, right. Let's hope they, so, they aren't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, you know, that's where we get back to the idea of designating a driver. Um, it, it's, it, it shouldn't be too hard to find someone who's willing to not drink while they're out on the boat. Um, uh, and, and that's absolutely the safest way, um, to go about it. Are there another any... thing? That, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Another thing that is, uh, uh, been coming to more and more, uh, of a prominent problem in recent years is the wakes oh. that watercraft kick up. Um, and, uh, we've been kind of, uh, promoting the concept of owning your wake, being responsible, being, first of all, just being cognizant of the wake that your boat is putting up. That's the big wave that comes out of the back of the boat. Um, when you're traveling at speed um and those wakes can can do a lot of things and with some of the bigger you know boats seem to keep getting bigger and bigger when i was a kid a 16 foot boat was a pretty (laughs) you know that was a that was like the standard nice family fishing boat and uh um you know it might have been a a 16 foot boat with a 25 horse motor now we're seeing you know we're seeing 20 foot pontoons that have two 300 horsepower motors you know the it's it's uh in in some respect it's the american way i suppose bigger better you know etc but um uh those those larger boats and especially the wakeboarding boats that are the wakeboarding boats are specifically designed to throw up a big wake to um to ride on a on a wakeboard behind the boat um and uh but but all sorts of all sorts of watercraft are throwing up these big wakes and those can um cause multiple problems so what are you um, to do or what you know who's who's responsible for for is it the person driving the boat is the person like following a boat or you know what are the rules yep. is there a it, rule on that it's it, it's the it's the responsibility of the person uh, driving the boat, you know, needs to be responsible for their wake. And the problem is, um, you know, the lakes we have down here aren't really that big when, right. when you know, when, when you start getting out on these lakes and somebody's putting up a four foot wake, uh, that, that has the, the potential to, to ruin a lot of people's days, you know, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, if you're in a 16 foot boat fishing, uh, and a four foot wake comes by, it's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> Likewise, uh, the folks who have boats tied up to the dock, they don't want their, their boats pounding on the dock. Mm-hmm. Um, little kids swimming on the beach at the cabin, you know, and all of a sudden here comes a big wake, um, shoreline erosion. There are just a lot of downsides to putting up a big wake. And most of our lakes down here, are not big enough where those wakes can dissipate before they hit docks and shorelines, et cetera. So how do we and, prevent uh, it or what do we do? I mean, is it illegal? Because, I mean, obviously I'm on the shore. I can't do anything about them, for example. Right. So I'm just curious, what, what, what can you do or should you do? Well, there's a, there is a statute that relates to, to careless or reckless boating uh, operation. That would be one possibility. Um, 
in really the biggest thing is that people need to be take responsibility for their own actions. Um, this has been something that uh, is becoming kind of a political um, a political issue, and and folks have been pushing for various legislation. And um, you know, like anything, if you start getting people upset. Um, <laughs> Uh, things might change. So, you know, if you've just spent a fortune on a big wakeboard boat and you want to use it, uh, you need to use it responsibly before, you, you know, before privileges um, start getting affected. So that that's the biggest thing is it just comes down to individual responsibility and being cognizant of the fact that that you're, you know, you're putting up this, this large wake no matter what kind of boat it is um because you know fishing boats are certainly not exempt from from putting up damaging wakes as well you know what chris we unfortunately we are out of time there's so many things to know is there a website or something people could go to to look for maybe some of the new whether there's new rules or old rules you might just want to refresh yourself on for boating and water safety yeah i would absolutely um suggest taking a look at our DNR website. It's dnr.state.mn.us. Uh, and there's a, you know, there's certainly quite a bit of information there. Uh, the U.S. Coast Guard has information on their website. Uh, there are also boating safety classes available from organizations one organization is called the u.s power squadron uh they do boating uh safety education uh the coast guard auxiliary does boating safety education and uh you know that might be online materials it might be in-person classes depending on your preference uh but there's especially with the internet uh, in this day and age, there's no shortage of safety information available out there. Well, I know there was been two fatalities so far this boating season, so I know that we want uh, not to have any more for this big weekend because I'm sure this is going to be one of the bigger weekends for being on the water. Yep. Yeah, the the two, uh, the two fatalities we've had this year um, both involved adults falling out, uh, you know, falling out overboard from a from a boat uh without life vests is my guess uh uh i don't i don't know the uh oh, okay the I, I don't know for certain but i i believe um actually i do know for certain uh in both cases there was no life jacket that was worn okay. um other other folks in the boat tried to to throw them life jackets but that's a, a classic example you know if you're in your car you can't put your seatbelt on when you see the the other yeah. car coming that's going to crash into you right. uh same thing with the life jacket uh it's at its best when it's on you when it's being worn so well chris i'm sorry we are out of time but chris howe the dnr conservation officer here in minnesota we thank you for your time and i hope uh, people will go out and, and be safe this holiday weekend Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks much, Karen. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So much to know, so much to learn. Still more things we probably didn't cover, but hopefully it'll just be a little safety reminder for us to all be safe. And, you know, we want to all come back and not remember remember this is a bad holiday. Remember it as a uh, good summer memory.
It is uh, seven minutes past 11. You're listening to a Minnesota Morning in the Maverick at KMSU Radio 89.7 FM in Mankato and KMSK 91.3 FM in Austin online at KMSU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato. Big ideas and real world thinking. 62 degrees here on the campus at Minnesota State. Today's high, 67. Time now for your climate connection. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. The country of Denmark has long produced oil and gas in the North Sea, but Denmark has pledged to phase that out by 2050. Instead, we are raising our ambitions when it comes to offshore wind. Dan Jorgensen is Denmark's Minister of Climate, Energy and Utilities. He says that over the next decade, his country plans to build a massive wind energy hub on an artificial island in the North Sea. It will collect energy from hundreds of offshore wind turbines and deliver it to European customers. In its first phase, the hub is expected to produce enough electricity to power 3 million households, and ultimately enough for 10 million. So it's a huge project. It's probably the biggest infrastructure project in the history of my country. Jorgensen says abundant clean energy can help advance other green technologies. Denmark's long-term goal is to use wind power to create liquid fuel for use in planes and ships. That technology exists today, but it's very expensive and it's not possible to do it in the scale that would be necessary. So that's one of the reasons why we are doing this. So long-term, the project could create winds of change for green transportation, too. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate